0: As we continue, continue our uh, summer series, uh, this morning, well, we're having uh, Lars' boss <laughs> here to speak. Uh, and Lars spoke last week, and it was very good to have him, but our series, as we continue it, will go on for another four weeks, and then Calvin will be back uh, second week in August. So uh, thank you so much just for the opportunity for us to bring in other people and to hear other voices uh, as the opportunity arises and this has been, I think, a great opportunity for all of us. I want to tell you a little bit about Keith Potter. And Keith, uh, I'm not going to edit what he, what's written here so he'll he'll have to make mm-hmm. an, amendments if necessary. Uh, he's the Vice President for Advancement and he's the Director for the Center of Learning and Ethics at Bushnell University. He's got a DD, D, uh, Dr. Divinity in Bushnell, uh, MDiv from Fuller Theological, and a BS uh, from Bushnell University itself. As Vice President for Advancement, Keith Potter loves advancing the university's mission through crucial relationships with alumni, donors, churches, and the neighboring communities. As a pastor, author, and speaker, Keith has vested his career into relational health strategies for churches, businesses, and families. He was lead pastor of three California churches and held mentoring and applied learning positions at Simpson University and Fuller Seminary. He has been a frequent lecturer at the Baltic Pastoral Institute in Riga, Latvia, the Center for Congregational Leadership in Green Lake, Wisconsin, and Mount Center near Santa Cruz, California. He's still available for preaching, consultation, and keynote speaking. The Center for Leadership and Ethics, under Keith's direction, creates mentoring relationships between community leaders and Bushnell students, and provides forums to address relevant topics of our day. The center also presents ethical leader awards to worthy individuals and businesses in the Eugene area. And this is a quote from uh, Keith. I grow the the university by contributing to our vision and inspiring our team to build partnerships with people who can give to help our vision come true. Uh, Keith is married to Sue and 84 and they have three children, one son-in-law and four grandchildren. They live in Eugene where they are avid basketball fans and casual runners. Uh, It's good to have you here. Today, But let's, as we get started, let's have a prayer thank you. just for your, for your thank you. words that are coming up. Dear Lord God, we thank you always uh, for the opportunity to share. This morning we ask you to be with Keith as he brings a few words from Scripture uh, for us and help him to know that the words that he's speaking are words that need to be heard here in this place to someone in this location. We thank you, Father, for your blessings always, and we're always grateful that you love us and you care for us. In Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Amen. Thank you, brother. You're welcome. It is a tremendous privilege to be with you today. Among all the things that sounded kind of exhausting that I do, one of my favorite, if not the favorite, is celebrating Christ with his body, with his family, in churches all over so to be able to do that with you today is just a joy for me. This is my first time here. I'm sorry it's my first time here. I wish I'd been here before, but I've driven by many, many times on the freeway, have prayed for you as I do so, and celebrate your unique place, heritage, history right here in the Eugene community. I have served three churches, and each church has its own sort of mission and vision, and then it's thing to do or thing to be in a season the first church that I served fresh out of in those days NCC and now Bushnell University was a church in San Diego that had watched the city just sort of creep up all around it and it still had a kind of an old school mission I remember its favorite hymn was showers of blessing that was like the theme hymn of the church And and as the church was surrounded by multiple unit apartments with lots and lots of young, challenged families, they really had to figure out how do we connect with our neighborhood. The second church I served was in Paradise, California. Many of you know Paradise because it was the town that burned so badly just a few years ago. And while I lived there and pastored there in a decade that preceded that tragedy, It's been fascinating to watch them rebuild and to figure out what it means uh, to be Paradise after Paradise was so terribly affected. But in the days that I was there, Paradise was a retirement community, and we were asking, how do we reach the young families that are serving that retirement town? And it was a unique mission and vision to try to figure out how to make a healthy church in the midst of that unique setting. Then I served a church in the Bay Area, and it seemed as if The issue there in Silicon Valley was how to take that enormous entrepreneurial spirit and, frankly, all of those resources and see them applied for Christ. And it was not an easy thing for people who had so much to try to steward it. I had people come to me and say, Pastor, I am the rich young ruler, and I don't know what to do with it all. And so helping them, helping us process those interesting challenges... Represented that time in the Bay Area. Coming to Bushnell University, how do we keep equipping God's people for God's church? How do we keep sending out students who are uniquely qualified to be beacons for Christ in every field of endeavor? Um, Boy, our vision is to help our students find and answer God's call for their life. Our mission is wisdom, faith, and service in a context of Christian community, academic excellence in the context of Christ-centered community. That vision, that mission that drives us is why I get up every day. But this issue of vision is challenging. Some of you may have felt that it was challenging in the last few years. I have gone church to church and I've heard stories and I've seen challenges as people have tried to figure out what does it mean to find our way in the midst of the COVID phenomenon, and various other things that have made the last few years a unique test of our faith. I heard a very seasoned pastor say not long ago, I'm not sure the last few years were the church's finest hour in America. And I would say I'm not sure they were our best years. But in the aftermath, and I like to pray its aftermath, as we begin to move back toward or forward into what someone might call normalcy it's a tremendous opportunity for us to ask who are we and what are we about what is our vision what do we see us becoming with God's help and I go back to a passage of Scripture that I think I learned at a very young age. I think it's one of the few passages of Scripture that's actually spoken in secular environments, at least in part, and often by people who may not really get what they're talking about. This passage has been one of my favorite topics during the last couple of years. I've done a deep dive into the original languages and tried to get at the idea of vision. And here it is, Proverbs 29 verse 18 and i'm going to read it from from your bible today to start with the one that's in your seats and this is the english standard version and it says where there is no prophetic vision the people cast off restraint but blessed is he who keeps the law May the Lord bless the reading of His Word and then the application of His Word to our lives that we might be more than mere hearers of the Word but doers of the Word also. The way I learned it from the old King James went like this. Where there is no vision, the people perish. But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. That's the old King James Version. Um, I thought I'd go to find out how different um, translators put this. And so I found the New International Version, which is a version I've used a lot over the years. It says, where there is no revelation, people cast off restraint. But blessed is the one who heeds wisdom's instruction. In the N.O.G., the Names of God Bible, by Baker Bookhouse, it says, without prophetic vision, people run wild. But blessed are those who follow God's teaching. From the M.S.G., which is the message, Eugene Peterson's paraphrase, he puts it this way, if people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. But when they attend to what He reveals... They are most blessed. This is the YLT, Young's Literal Translation. It says, without vision is a people made naked. And whoso is keeping the law owe his happiness. From the OJB, this is the Orthodox Jewish Bible. I thought, okay, let's go back to the people of the Old Testament to see how they might interpret this. And it says, where there is no kazon, this is C-H-A-Z-O-N, the Hebrew word kazon, the people cast off restraint. But he that is shomer, S-H-O-M-E-R, over the Torah, and I'll explain these words in just a moment, well, happy is he. So, let me break this down just a little bit using those old words because that version inspired me. Where there is no kazon, where there is no vision, where there is no revelation, where there is no divine dream or divine oracle, where there is no visual sense for what God is doing and what God is teaching. This word kazon, by the way, is used 50 times in the old testament it has a new set new testament concept which is found in the book of acts where peter or paul have visions at unique times in their story but this idea of kazon means a vision or a dream or a revelation or a divine oracle it's seeing what god wants us to see where there is no kazon, people para. P-A-R-A. Where there's no kazon, where there's no vision, where there's no revelation, where there's no divine oracle, where there's no sense of what God is doing or what God is teaching, people para. Now, again, in the King James Version, I learned people perish. Other people say uh, cast-off restraint. The word para, literally in the Hebrew, is the word that would be used for taking a woman's hair out of its braid. Like pulling all of that apart and letting it loose. And the idea is, without Kazon, people come apart. Without Kazon, people lose their restraint. Without Kazon, without a revelation from God, without a vision from God, without a sense for what God is doing what God is teaching, we have a way of running amok. Or as one version says, going crazy. Or as another version says, when we do that, it's like we're naked. When Moses came down from the mountain, after meeting God, came down literally aglow in the presence of God... The people were para. They had built cabs. They were having these wild parties. And that was what Moses walked into in Exodus 32. The people were running wild. They were para. And that's what happens when we lose the Kazon. When we lose the sense of divine revelation, when we don't see what God wants us to see, then we go all para. We come undone. But, it says, those who shamar, S H A M A R, those who shamar, which literally means to put a hedge around the garden. Isn't that interesting? those who shamar, those who put a hedge around the garden, it literally means a hedge around the garden, but in practical usage, it means safeguard. It means to revere. It means to keep guarded like a great and grand tradition or like a deeply held value. Those who put a hedge around it those who create that sort of sacred garden, those who shemar the Torah, which by the way the word Torah, we often think of the law of God, but it's bigger and more than that. Sometimes we put a capital T in front of it and we think of it as the first five books of the Old Testament are the Torah. But in common usage the small t word Torah really means all the laws instructions guidance truth that God would share with his people Torah has a broader sense than just legal restriction it's bigger than that it's deeper than that it's not merely a code of conduct it is a blend of history of testimony of exhortations of the instructions of God and when people shamar the Torah what it means is, when we put a hedge around all the truth and instruction of God, then we are Esher. We are Esher. And what does Esher mean? E-S-H-E-R. Well, Cal, you were onto it, man. It means happy. It means blessed. It means deeply, deeply fulfilled when we shamar the torah by the way the word torah is used 220 times in the old testament and it speaks to all the instruction of god when we value the instruction of god we are happy we are blessed we are deeply satisfied That's used 44 times in the Old Testament. It has its New Testament equivalent, which we heard already in that beautiful list of Scriptures today which some some translations will say blessed, others will say happy. I believe blessed is not a terribly common word uh, in our language, so we don't really get what it means. I think happy can be a little bit thin for what Esher actually is, but it means this deep, happy, blessed sense of satisfaction. That's what happens when we shamar the Torah. When we safeguard, honor, protect, celebrate the instructions of God. We experience Esher. We experience happiness, blessedness. It's an interesting thing to read the different translations. Some translations say he that does this experiences that. Others say those that do that experience that. Some of the better scholars that I read from as I dug in tended to believe this is more of a plural experience than a singular experience. In other words, of all the usages of Esher in the Old Testament, they are almost exclusive, exclusively communal experiences. Instead of, I'm so happy to walk with God, what it tends to say is, we are so happy when we walk with God. And God wants to bless us. God wants to bless his people and not just the singular me. I loved reading your mission statement. I got online this morning just to read all about you, and then I found it right on the wall out there. And it's that beautiful passage from Ephesians chapter 4 that talks about what the church is and what the church is for. And I just love, in bold letters at the end, it says, together. Together. Growing, working, sharing. Together. And I just want to celebrate that as being not just important for us but important to god and i believe that when all right hang with this this is the kpev the keith potter expanded version without kazone without seeing or envisioning together what god has revealed people pera they come undone exposed raw naked wild out of control But when we shemar, when we revere and protect and tend like a garden, the instructions of God, the Torah, the teaching, the doctrine, the laws, the direction of God, then we are Esher. We are happy. Well, that's kind of the deep dive into the language and into the words and concepts. But I just want to do a few takeaways and then we'll pray and call it a day number one takeaway rally around a vision rally around a vision what is God doing what is God doing what is God doing today what has God been doing since the beginning of time what is God doing in this season of the unfolding will of God what is God doing in his church what is God doing in the world what is God doing and as many have said through the years how can I be a part of it what is God doing and how can I be part of it where is God taking us you know passive models lead to all forms of lethargy and confusion in any organization and certainly this is true of the church Jesus himself lived and taught on the move. I'm always fascinated by the ways Jesus is depicted when you watch Hollywood's version of the life of Jesus. I remember as a teenager, there was a television miniseries that came out called Jesus of Nazareth. Does anyone remember that? that it, it, a long time ago. But I remember Jesus was depicted as a very mystical person who was always sitting in the dark, leaning against a wall in deep prayer and people would dare to approach him and then he would impart truth. And and I remember being moved by that and touched by that and, and, you know, I could kind of draft with the idea of Nicodemus coming to him by night and, and I thought, okay, I'd love to see Jesus in some shadowy corner somewhere so I could ask him all the hard questions in life. But then a movie called just merely Jesus came out uh, about a decade later anyone remember the movie Jesus I forget which organization pumped it out but they showed it all over the world and the Jesus depicted in that movie was a Jesus walking alongside the people Jesus who was teaching along the way Jesus who was on the move with his disciples going from town to town sharing the good news encountering folks everyday folks along the journey and I remember resonating with that Jesus and it caused me to dig more deeply into the scripture and I think this is what we find we find the rabbi with his school following along as if they were going to class daily with this traveling preacher this agent of God as he went from town to town sharing the good news in the temple in the marketplace and Anywhere he could find a place, like a natural amphitheater on a hill or, or, a, or a fishing boat on the water, Jesus was sharing along the way. And I think it's important for us to realize that we need to stay on the move. We need to be along the way with Jesus, with a clear vision of what he's asking us to do we get into arguments like well do we need to do or do we need to be do we need to be or do we need to do as if again we need to follow the mystical Jesus who was sitting and just being or or follow the Jesus on the road who was always serving and helping and touching and being touched and I think the answer is not necessarily either or I believe it's both and I think any focus on just being in Christ is going to lose some of the energy and the servanthood that, for example, the book of James would indicate when it says we need to be doers of the word and not merely hearers. But I think that any picture of just doing without going to that quiet place would would be a refusal to acknowledge the Jesus who himself had to go away, had to find a mountainside, had to find a place he could sit with his father and be recharged and find his own focus for the events that were coming i think it is a both and and if you're someone who leans toward the b versus the do wonderful you're you're a great sort of tent stake that holds up the tent and if you're someone who leans toward do versus b then wonderful you're you're sort of a tent stake that holds up the tent that tension i believe keeps the tent up but i think all of us together need to make sure that we are a people who are being and doing, who are finding our identity in depth and in significance and in substance with Christ, doing the disciplines and doing the things that draw us close to him in solitude, but at the same time who are gathering together to become a people on a mission, who are living and moving and mobile and and even changing at times. To make sure that we're adapting to the culture in which we live so i would say we need to rally around a vision rally around a notion of what god is doing in the world today and then live into it the second takeaway would be i'd encourage us to be suspicious of singular notions of any idea of sort of Jesus and me. Like this is just about me. Uh, One of my concerns about the church in popular culture is that we've really bought into a lot of Jesus and me ideas. Even a lot of our songs are about Jesus and me. And, And while I believe in a very personal relationship with Christ and I wish it for you and I wish it for me, it's impossible to view a life in Christ independent from the whole counsel of the body of Christ. We must live... In community. I think that's part of what made the last few years difficult, is that community became so disjointed for reasons that are obvious to us. But we should be suspicious of singular notions. When I was 20 years old, um, I accepted an invitation to sell books door to door in South Texas. I still don't know why I did it. I'm grateful. It was like my personal boot camp one of the hardest things I've ever done going door to door and selling these books. Uh, I think to myself, if I could do that, then I could certainly go to anyone and talk about Jesus because that was just a hard job. I was in South Texas going from town to town, including, this is tragic, but including Uvalde, Texas, which was where I was centered during that time. And so again, sadness visited upon a place where I've lived a season of my life. But as I would go town to town, I'd stop in, and I'd visit, and I'd share, and I'd try to sell these books. And then I'd find pastors and churches for my own personal sense of respite. You know, I knew I was a pastor in training, and I thought, all right, I'm going to find people to sit with and talk with. So one day, I knocked on the parsonage at the Church of Christ. And the pastor came to the door, and we began to share. And at one point, I think I used the word brother, and he said to me, I'd like to test the idea that you're my brother. And I said, what do you mean by that? And, and we began sharing, and what finally came out is that he believed in that unique congregation that they were the only ones that would be going to heaven. Now, I'm not saying they as in the Church of Christ, not they as in the people in our Restoration Movement, not they He was saying the folks on that street in Town, Texas we the only people that were going to go to heaven. And I remember testing the thought. I remember pushing back and he began to really tell me that I was going to hell, that everyone in all the other churches in town were going to hell and that they were the only ones who had it right. And I went and I found the football stadium which was always a comfortable place for me. I ate my lunch and I cried. And I began to wonder about all the confusion that that conversation created for me this pastor in that little church not that different than our churches in terms of their core beliefs somehow thought they that 50 100 people were the only ones that would get to meet Christ one day and it was so disheartening through the years, I haven't seen it in all of that kind of bold language, but I do believe there is a sense sometimes of, of either thinking and tragically even wishing that we could be a very remote group of people who get to meet God someday. I remember in my own mind there have been times that I thought, I hope that person isn't going to make it. And then there's kind of that joke, you know, of, of the one you get there, you know, you're surprised that they're there, and they say, Well, I'm surprised you're here. And, um, and I'm challenged. Um, what does my heart really want for the world? How much do I really love the world and all of its brokenness and misguidedness? And. Um, And what I hope is that my mind and heart can expand around the idea that that I'm learning to love the lost the way God does and to hope for them uh, to be with us. I fear that sometimes we can be like a hedge guarding our own little garden when what God is asking us to do is, is always leave a doorway into the garden. And in fact, a bunch of doorways so that people can come and know His love and grace and live with Him forever. We must be suspicious of our singular notions about life with God. My fear is that more than sin or moral decline, more than style and relevancy more than political rabbit holes more than a lot of other things divisions me and even our opinions have hurt the church in america more and and that's where i think we just have to keep searching our souls to find the humility that that god would call us into and to live in community testing all of our ideas with the broad wisdom of the body of christ We were not made to live this life by ourselves or for ourselves. We were made for community and for unity. And we are happiest. We experience Esher when we are in the midst of one another. So rally around a vision, be suspicious of singular notions, and then finally go on a blessed journey together. Go on a blessed journey together. Seek the vision together. Pray together. Explore Scripture together. Um, Celebrate values together. Go on this journey together. Choose, honor, and pray for leaders who can help gather around the vision that God has laid out in Scripture. Choose, honor, and pray for qualified incredible people uh, who can lead us along this wonderful journey with God and then seek together as a body the collective discernment that is available to us if we shamar the Torah. If We love the Word of God and seek it actively. And then I would say, enjoy the blessed togetherness. Enjoy the blessed togetherness. Have you ever been on a country road? And as evening sets in, you see the most glorious sunset? And, and it's in full color and, and the wonder of God's creativity is on display and just by natural instinct you turn to your right and say isn't that amazing and there's no one there because you're driving alone um, I like to golf there are moments where I'm walking on the fairway sometimes playing with absolute strangers, and I'm just overcome by the beauty of the setting. I think golf is one of God's greatest inventions. I really do. And I just want to say out loud, I mean, in my smug, funny way, I like to say, isn't it amazing what the random splitting of atoms can do? That's my joke for saying this is not an accident. And so I find my voice and and. No matter who I'm playing with, I, I have to say it out loud because it's one thing to see it, but it's another thing to see it together, right? I have four amazing grandkids. Eight, six, four, two. Watching them in their seasons of life, watching them develop is just extraordinary. And I think part of the beauty of grandparenting is you get to watch and enjoy without having to clean their nose. And the joy is being able to look at my wife and she looks at me and there's this knowing look between us. I mean, I'd love being a grandpa no matter what, but being a grandpa with grandma right there, I mean, that's a joy. So it is, I would say, on this beautiful journey we get to walk. Yes filled with all kinds of challenges and sadnesses and losses in a room like this some of you are in the thick of losses you're in the midst of some of the hardest things you've ever experienced but in the midst of this beautiful journey isn't it great that we get to do it together and so i would say just as kind of an application rally around a vision let's open our eyes let's see what god is doing let's let's look for god's vision Let's be suspicious of singular notions. And then let's go on this blessed journey together. Let's let's find our voices as we open our eyes. Let's celebrate God's goodness and God's beauty and God's creativity and God's redemptive power. Let's celebrate the hope that's ours in Christ Jesus. He is a great Redeemer. And God's favorite thing is to take things that are broken and make them beautiful again i like to say if god had two cars the first one would be the hot new model that's right off the line it would go fast it would have all the gadgets and he would sit there saying this is cool but if god had another car would be a car that he found rusting in someone's backyard a car that had so much beauty and so much worth and so much value but perhaps lost in the rust and in the weeds and yet god painstakingly reclaimed that car and with great love began refining and renovating, refurbishing, repurposing. I don't know which car God would love the most. Probably love them equally. But there's something about people like me that were lost in someone's backyard and the reworking that He's doing in our lives. This is the wonder of God at work, at play in our lives. Let's pray. Lord God, You love Your church. And I thank You for loving us. I pray, dear Lord, that as we find a vision for who You are and what You're teaching, that You'll help us together to experience this this Esher this this deep rich happiness Lord clarify our vision and help us to live your way in this world even with all the trappings and challenges and sadnesses we know you love the world these dear broken beautiful people Help us to love them too, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Today, you may be feeling broken. You may be feeling like you need extra prayer. I've been told you have elders that are ready on any given Sunday to receive. And I might just invite people uh, who need to come and get extra prayer to do so. And with that, there might be someone who decides today I need to know God. I want to follow him. I want to begin a journey and I want to do it in the midst of this gathered community. Then again, I would encourage you to come, uh, talk to someone here at the front and start your journey as a follower of Jesus in the midst of his community. And may God bless you every step of the way.